Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Todd and Taylor Show. I am Todd A, and with me as always is... Taylor Trask. Hi, everybody. Hi. So this is Hi. episode three yes. season one. Yes. Uh, if anyone's been following along, we did six episodes, I think. We called it episode zero. It was like our pilot season. Um, and now we're just rocking along with this new format, which is where we explore one topic in depth. Yeah, I like time. it. Yeah, fan. and in this one, especially, you should be excited about because tonight we're going to talk about one of your favorite shows, which is. Oh, wait, am I saying it? Doctor Who. It's coming back. Is that the soundtrack to it? That is. That is. That's the. That's my overly dramatic soundtrack. See, I always try to kind of give it a little bit more more movie score sound when it's actually probably more you know a little bit more ethereal and, and and weird i try to make it a bit bit more dramatic so that's just that's personal taste no oh, ever yeah. ever since we started with the candy roller coaster i'm i'm sort of like <laughs> when, when you hum a song i'm like i don't am i supposed to recognize this <laughs> it's well, uh that's it's true because you don't but you don't watch the show so you wouldn't know really right right so i have actually just today uh previewed a couple episodes to get us you know, kind of get the ball rolling there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that there's anything else we need to do to to introduce this, do we? Um, I I don't think so. What, I mean, let's, let's jump. Well, let, well, let's. What's the uh, there is there is an occasion uh, which has precipitated this discussion, which is, as I understand it, uh, season nine. Season nine starts uh, next Saturday. So if you're listening to this um, next week, which you know we're recording this on the tenth, if you hear this next week, then the nineteenth. Of September, season nine starts in 2015. Yeah, yeah. 2015. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. If you're listening to this in the future, season nine has already happened. And got, what a great one well, it was. You're not listening to it in the present because we're that's not right. letting anyone listen to this. That's right. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> right. So we are recording this the week ahead of the season nine premiere. Exactly. Um, uh, so that that's what kind of caused us to talk about this because um, you're a big fan and we wanted to do a big uh, you know, introduction to the show. And then just before we hit record, you and I had a, a casual conversation about um, what a cool dynamic this is, which is um, the person who knows next to nothing about the show, mm-hmm. finding out why it means so much to you and the person to whom it means so much, finding out why a person like me just doesn't watch it, even though our, our interests, you know, align on so many other, yeah. so many other things. It's so. always the most fascinating thing to me to meet somebody who by all accounts should have gotten into the show at some point, um, or have some passionate take on it. It's just like, eh, I just never really, never really got into it. So I, that's such a weird thing of fandom, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, given a couple minutes, I could come up with a couple of franchises where I feel like, gosh, why don't people like this? But, um, well, yeah, no. so we've, we've picked a good one here to, to dig into. Give me, give me one quick one because I'm really curious now that you say that. Hmm. Like, what's one thing that you like that you're like, why don't more people like this? This should be easy. <laughs> uh, well, if I had had a quick one, I would have said it just now. Oh, gotcha. Well, put, well, how, like, if well I, how do you if, think about that during the show? And afterwards, he'll reveal his answer. Yeah, stay tuned. Well, I mean, like Axe Cop is such a thing. It's funny because we did a comic book show uh, several months ago where I went on and on about Axe Cop and then that was yes. the episode that got totally oh, destroyed by technical right. problems on the back end of it. So oh, I don't great. think any of my Axe Cop talk even made it to the show. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's that's just one of those things where I think like, gosh, why 
why doesn't everyone in the world read this comic book and watch this TV show? It's mm-hmm. hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not the best, uh, you know, uh, analog for Doctor Who. But let's get into Doctor Who. Um, we, we, no need to delay on on other fandoms. Let's just talk about this. Why yeah. do you like it? Oh wow! Okay, so this this is this is going to be a somewhat lengthy answer. So buckle buckle yourself in. Um, it's a show that I had always knew existed when I was a kid because they would just rerun the old Tom Baker episodes or the old you know 60s 70s episodes on PBS a lot. And I, being a, a, a PBS junkie as a kid, would would see like a preview for it or see an actual episode and be like, this I don't know what this is. I don't know how to wrap my head around this. Like there's he's wearing a cool hat and a scarf and like, what, what is this? What's the, the box? Like never really occurred to me kind of what the depth of the show was or the mythology of the show until, um, was it 2005? So the show rebooted itself in 05 and Christopher Eccleston was the sort of reboot first doctor. And I remember that used to, they aired it in the BBC at the time. And then like a year later or six months later, they would air it on the sci-fi channel. You can see how far we've come since then. My God. And I remember sitting there watching, like seeing trailers and stuff for it on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I just happened to catch one episode one time called, um, oh God, what's the, even the title of the episode? I can't even think. Uh, uh, the Long Game, uh, from the first season of the reboot, season one. If you want to, you know, in the new sort of canon or the new sort of uh, you know, world of Doctor Who, it's season one, but uh, episode called The Long Game, and I just kind of got captivated by it. It's not the strongest episode, but I was just like, this is kind of cool, and it moves so fast, and it's one of those shows that assumes you know what the show is so it doesn't really stop to explain to you along the way until a doctor regenerates or until the show reboots with a new showrunner it does it just kind of does its thing so i was like well this is what is this and i just got fascinated by it and at that same exact time the show had already ended in the bbc and they had already announced that david Tennant was the new doctor and so i remember seeing like you know googling doctor who and seeing on on google just news stories like did you the guy from harry potter 4 is the new doctor and i'm like the new wait what already like why why is there a new doctor why does he look completely different and just kind of got sucked into just the mythology of what you know what the show actually is kind of started handpacking and watching an episode here and there and be like this is cool i don't there seems to be a lot of backstory that i'm not familiar with that would enhance my joy of the show more so i'll just kind of keep paying cursory attention and it wasn't until season three which was 2007 that i uh and at the at the request of a mutual friend of ours drew huddleston started kind of dropping into watching because he was a he was a huge fan at the time too he's like oh dude you got to watch the show like you, you gotta just jump in and start watching and it happened to be the the two-part episode the family of blood um human nature which is from the mid midway through season three um and it was just like and again that if you haven't really paid attention to the show that episode was especially confusing because the doctor was hiding out from these aliens so he became human so he was david Tennant acting as the doctor acting as somebody completely different so I'm just like, what is this? And then, for my, you know, to my benefit, the very next episode I saw was the the show, the episode that everybody kind of points to as either the gateway drug episode or like one of the best that you're ever going to see. It's called Blink, and I I just I sat there watching this thing just completely. I, there's been very few shows or very few movies or just visual stories where I was just in enraptured the entire time, just sat at the screen going, what is? I love everything about this. What is this? So immediately I started Googling like everything up to that point, like 
what has the what has the rebooted series given us like what what are the episodes like what why is david Tennant the doctor now what does regeneration mean like all of these things all these like all you know all these things that most fans are at that point were familiar with i'm just like what is why is that that way oh that's cool so then he meets different people okay got completely caught up with the show and then the rest of season three was brilliant you know they reintroduced uh one of the doctor's old you know oldest villains the master who's basically his moriarty so that and the twist in that was really cool. So I just got I lucked out by coming into it at exactly the right time with the the David Tennant Doctor, and just since then have you know each each you know each season since has just been new and interesting. And then where it really kind of hooked me was knowing that each time a new actor takes on the role, it's sort of the whole show kind of changes and refreshes itself. So you've got not only a new guy, but like the, you know the TARDIS itself changes, and like the, you know, the the companion he's with or the people he's with change. Sometimes the actual person running the show changes. So it's never you can never be bored with this show. So if you like if you really like it for one or two years, don't get too comfortable because it's going to change, and you might like it even more a year from now, or you might hate it a year from now and then love it again. Uh, and just that whole kind of thing really sucked me in. So all along the way, I realized there were you know there were novels and there were audio plays and there was all this stuff that fills in the canon around the core series, you know, the core 13 episodes each year. And then I started kind of poking at the, the historical series and never really, never really quite cracked that. I always sort of looked at the, the, his, you know, the, the older series with sort of disdain, you know, just like, well, that's, it just, it was cheaper effects. Obviously they did, the BBC wasn't the BBC that we know today. So they didn't, they didn't treat drama in the same way they do now. Um, they didn't, you know, they weren't into building franchises like they are now with Sherlock and Doctor Who and, you know, Downton Abbey and all those things. So like you look at the older series and you're like, well, I guess, but the beauty of it is from the day it began in 1963 to now, the, the entire canon of the show has remained intact. So, you know, they've been able to flub it here and there, but the fact that this character travels in time and space that you can do absolutely anything, any story, any genre, um, any time period, any, you know, you can make something completely out of left field or you can have him be on earth with this, you know, with a typical, like, you know, just murder mystery, um, all of that stuff, it all fits together and they can kind of retcon things when they need to, but the, the canon is intact. It's not like, you know, the modern series is like, well, when we, when they re they rebooted it and it's a brand new series, it's a brand new series in as much as it's a different visual and it's a much tighter production, far tighter production, but it still connects to that older series from, you know, that ended in 19, I think 89 or 90. And in between there was a TV movie. So like you and I growing up, like when we were like, you know, in middle school and high school, kind of the, that age when a lot of people discover the show, the show wasn't on, it was just re, you know, it was reruns and that kind of stuff. So I almost felt like we, we were, we're that lost generation that never really got to have Dr. Who growing up like people do now, or people did in the you know seventies and eighties. So, so it all kind of connects together. It just really, I don't know, really clicked with me. And since then, I've just been on board. And now the newest doctor, played by Peter Capaldi, um, is my absolute favorite. I mean, that guy is just not, – not only has he raised the bar in terms of acting, but the stories and the people who are writing for the show. Um, no, no disrespect to you know, writers from you know, six or seven years ago. They're, they're great. But the, the writing on the show has just hit this new plateau of quality where like, the attention to detail is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. Like every year I think, oh, it's not going to get any better than this. The next season, they just, they raise the game again and raise the game again. So now we're kind of in this golden age of the show where the acting's amazing. The writing's amazing. Um, and they're, they're really sort of honoring the past of the show by, while, while still keeping, you know, a current and contemporary and, and interesting and fresh. So that's, you know, long winded way of saying, <laughs> I really like, I really like the show. Um, it just, I don't, 
I'll, I'll sum it up by saying it never, it's never the same. They can do anything with it, any story, any genre, anything you want. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's always getting better. Well, I, think. I mean, honestly, you brought up so many things that I want to address. Um, that was, that was a really good intro and just a little behind the scenes for people uh, listening to this podcast. Our notes actually, ju- we just have a bullet impassioned rant by Taylor. So <laughs> yeah. we, we knew you were going to go off. <laughs> um, so uh, wh- what you just said there is about how they can do any kind of story. They can, they can go into any genre, mm-hmm. I think is, is really one of the things that prevents people like me from getting mm-hmm. into it because it, it's, it almost sounds a little too, um, you know, just too open-ended or something. I mean, I, I have a, it, that almost makes it sound like an anthology kind of show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I personally just don't, you know, it's the, I don't really care about those. So well, let um, me ask, let me, let me turn the table. So on you, obviously you've, you've had friends and, and, and people over the years now that since it rebooted in 05, I'm sure you've had no shortage of people going, you don't watch the show. What, like, what, what is it about it other than, I mean, is it just that, or have there been other things, other factors that have prevented you from just going, you know, I'm going to sit down and see if I can't get into this. Uh, well, I, I don't know that I, maybe I, I run in a, 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 a <laughs> My, my maybe my geek circles are sort of balanced the other way because I, it almost seems like the <laughs> the Doctor Who watchers it's sort of like their shameful secret, you know? Really? Like, yeah, it's there's definitely not been a majority of people telling me. I'm I mean I'm definitely in the majority as a non Who watcher mm-hmm. among the you know the friends who go to um, Comic Con and and uh, you know the the, the geeks that that I hang with, I guess. So, um, I definitely haven't felt that pressure, you know, it's, mm. I've never, I've never been at someone's house and had them say, just, just watch this one episode. And, you know, if you don't like it, fair enough. Oh, um, wow. So Maybe that's a, just me then. Cause like every time I meet somebody who I'm like, it, it might slightly be a fan of the show. I'm like, sit down and just watch. And I always show them blank. Cause that was kind of my gateway drug. And I'm like, right. just, just sit down and watch this and every time. They're like, Oh my God. I'm like, I know. Right. And then it's like, <laughs> from that point on, they kind of go in their own direction with it. But, that seems I've to watched be... you and uh, Drew, as a matter of fact, like talk about it over the years mm. on Facebook, you know, because you'll mm. you'll tag each other in posts and um, mm. since we're mutual friends that, you know, it'll show up in my feed. And uh, so, you know, I, I'd you. always <laughs> known that, like, you know, well, there are people that are like really into this and they're, you know, they're it's I, yeah, I could see the conversations happening around it. Um, but it, I, I think another uh, it's it's <clears> interesting, too, that one thing you did not really hit on in there is um you did you didn't as as far as i recall right here is i don't i don't think you described it as sci-fi which is Mm. what i have always pegged it as like Mm. i've always thought this is british sci-fi and um it it, it doesn't look very good i think that is true of the classic series right okay. like you look at the classic series with time and no disrespect to i know that's a lot of people love it and like we'll, we'll go to their grave saying it's, it's their favorite thing ever but you look at the classic series and it's very low budget it's very it's it's almost too hard of sci. it's too hard sci-fi right 
it, it relishes on being weird and and spacey and all of that and that's great but what the one of the nice things that the rebooted series or reju- let's call it rejuvenated because it wasn't really rebooted in the traditional sense the show right. the story continues it's just a newer presentation the rejuvenated series added a lot of elements of fantasy and of um just you know, uh, dream, you know, dreamlike elements and storybook elements, and so it, it really kind of took that sci-fi. And then, then you have like different elements of sci-fi. You have the, you know, the very you know the classic hard sci-fi elements. You have the more Star Star Wars, Star Trekky kind of stuff. You've got the fantasy Western sci-fi stuff. So it really, it really took the bull by the horns in terms of embracing its its all genres sort of mission statement and ran with it. And I can see how that would be a turnoff, but it's like when you when you take uh, a 13 episode arc which most seasons are and you you have like your your sort of building you know you know dilemma in the background uh or your your emerging big bad sort of in the background and and all the while you're going from a western to a robin hood story to a ghost story to a you know a, you know a crisis on a spaceship to you know just a very quiet story told at christmas time and you know with a, a, a family's house or something like all of those, you're getting something new all the while. Those those amazing big arcs are kind of being you know trickled trickled through that. That's just, I mean, for me, that's just so compelling because you're you're like you cannot be bored watching this show. You never know what's going to happen as long as you stay off the spoiler sites. You never know what's going to happen, um, but it's always headed somewhere. You know, there all there's always sort of a, at the end of the season, you're like, and we. And we've just, we maybe just barely, but we resolved this thing, and now we can take a breather until the next season. That's kind of where it, it traditionally leaves you. Um, well, so one of the ways that I have previously described it is, which I also mean to sum up why I don't watch it, is okay. that I've said it just looks like a British costume drama. <laughs> and from what you've said, where it's not strictly sci-fi. It's you know, you're not entirely wrong. There's a theme running throughout. Uh, you know there's there's certain things like i can tell that your um affection for the seasons is based on like how much you like the the doctor that that year you know mm-hmm. yeah. i mean um so so that i mean you know like what's the difference between this and downton abbey or something um nothing in, in the episodes where that's the case but then they'll you know I, I guess i mean and there have been very much i mean there was a actual downton abbey type of episode and there might be another one too um well and you know, that's not i, I don't think i don't see that as a bad thing though honestly for me personally like you can call it that and that's fine but I, i'm just like well yeah that that is kind of true but well, at the same time it's one of those weird things because i think in the and I, I believe me, like I will be the one receiving the wrath from this comment, but it's like, Oh no, you'll have it, your defenders. It's okay. Maybe, but I mean, it is, it's obviously like a huge, uh, uh, it is a show that is embraced warmly by geeks, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really sound like a show that's made for geeks. You know, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's made for people who like, you know, british drama one of the things that might well one of the things that might might fuel that and contribute to that and one of the things that is actually a sticking point for a lot of people who criticize who are fans of the show and criticize the show who get angry at Stephen moffat or whoever's running it is that at its heart it's still an all ages you know some people will call it a kid's show i say it's it's very firmly an all ages show it has to appeal to everyone from age five to age 55 
you know, and every, you know, everything in between. So it's got its sort of sillier moments and it's more broad genre appeal. And then it's got its, but it still has to have some good serious story, you know, storytelling and really clever dialogue and really clever turns that people our age can be like, Oh my God. And I think there's this constant push and pull to, you know, you know, people, you know, people our age who love the show want it to be more, a, a darker sort of, you know, not I mean necessarily darker, a more serious show where, you know, then there's, then there's always writers who try to pull it too much. And usually the episodes each season that are my least favorite are the most kid friendly. Um, there was one last year and it was a bad episode anyway. So I don't know if this even makes sense, but there was an episode last year where I don't even watch it. When I rewatched last season, it, it was about uh, these trees take over basically all plant life on earth kind of takes over and, and people wake up the next morning and they walk outside and there's just, you know, it's like a, a jungle everywhere. And so these kids go on this basically field trip. a rush song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And these kids, and these kids go on this field trip and it's about these kids. And, and it's, I mean, the story was really weak and flimsy. Um, and, the, and then it just, it became kind of silly and it just didn't really do anything, but it was, uh, there was a lot of kids who loved that episode cause they could see themselves and the characters cause they were actual kids going on the TARDIS and enjoying themselves. So I'm just like, Oh, it's okay. And, but I, the internet, the next morning you go to IO nine, everybody's like, this is the, this show. Oh God. And the people were just complaining. And, and I was just like, I'm with you, but man, you got to remember there are kids watching this show that you got to have something for. And I think that goes back to just maybe your perception of it being too broad or too wishy-washy i guess i don't know if that's what if that's the term you would use but i I think that's maybe where it's coming from yeah that's a good point um what but what's what as you were saying that what was running through my head was uh in your impassioned rant um when you talk about how you got into it you got into it by a couple episodes that were in the middle of seasons Mm -hmm. so which is which is interesting to me because it's not um you know, that's always really likely to turn people – I, you know, it's how do you get people into a show? Do you say like, hey, start it at the beginning and give it three episodes and then you'll be into it? Or, you know, I mean just dropping in for an episode in season three and then dropping in a couple seasons later is like, man, that's an easy way to just say I'm not going to bother with this. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that you kind of went back – like those episodes obviously hooked you, you know? Um, yeah, well, I mean very much. I mean they were and, – and to this day they remain some of the strongest episodes of the entire – rejuvenated run like I go, i'll go yeah. back and watch those just i'm like oh my god they're still so good even though like camera techniques and, and this is what 2007 so we're eight years later camera techniques and that has kind of obviously gotten better um and you can see you can see a little bit of age on those but just the writing just the scripts that you can just feel the scripts are so good like yeah. they're just really and they are more adult in you know stories and they're more i don't know and the the, the episode blink so here, let me just give you a primer for the episode Blink, because that's the one that I always, that's the one that hooked me. Uh, you know, everybody I show the show to, I'm like, you get, just, just watch this one and decide from there. That's the one that hooks everybody else. It's, and it's, it's, the most, uh, it's, it's the most unusual episode I think they've ever done, because the doctor never appears in it in person until the very, very, very end. I mean, I think there's one, I, I take that back, there's one like 10 second spot in the middle. Otherwise, you only ever see David Tennant on on screen in dvd in dvd stuff that he had filmed it's carrie mulligan before she became carrie mulligan like doing um doing a character with somebody else and it's almost like two people who would have been the doctor's companions um at some point uh had they you know had they gone on or continued on with the show but it's a standalone episode these two characters that you've never met before and one of the you know, carrie mulligan's character she plays this character called sally sparrow and she's at this old abandoned house and the very first thing you see is, is she's taking pictures of this house and she, she notices some 
writing behind this sort of you know walled up you know walled up wall and she starts she starts ripping down the wallpaper and it actually says her name it's written on you know in chalk or paint on this wall it's like sally sparrow and it's like this message to her she's like what the hell she starts ripping this down she's like don't you know the angels are coming and it's this mysterious message and then it goes duck and she's like duck and she ducks and just as she ducks a rock comes hurtling through the window right where her head would be and she turns around and there's this angel statue covering its eyes right there and it cuts to the the opening credits You're like what the hell you come out to find you come to find out that the the angel statues that surround this house come to life when you're not looking at them and and they it it's and but so you never you as the viewer never see them alive you never see them alive or see them moving because you're always looking at them through the eyes of the characters but it, it's it's amazing because they have these like actors and this these angel statue costume makeups that look incredibly realistic and you know they blink and these angels move incredibly fast so as a as a scary monster as a horror you know as a thriller it works really really well but what they the way they attack you is they they um, zap you back in time to an undetermined place, and then they live off the potential uh, energy you would have had in this time. So they don't necessarily kill you; they just they they send you back in time and let you live to death, is what the way it's described. So that whole episode is just like I'm like, oh my god! And then the doctor appears because the whole thing starts off as he they 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 steal his TARDIS and they send him and Martha, his companion, back to like the 70s. So the only thing he can do to communicate with the modern day is to write these messages and eventually film himself on these DVD extras that you constantly see. And, and one of these other characters has assembled them all together. So he's got like six or seven screens in his bedroom that he's, he's trying to study these. So you see that, you know, David Tennant like paused at different points of the speech. And, and then you realize that he has recorded this based on a future conversation he has with Sally Sparrow that eventually gets filled out. So you never really see him. He just sort of helps out from the past through these recorded messages and things. And only at the very, very end does he actually appear in person. So it's the most, it's, it's the least typical episode, but it's the most intriguing that really does set up the rules of the show for you. So hmm. I got really like that really clarified a lot of stuff for me. Like, Oh, this is what the TARDIS is. And this is why it's important. And this is why, how it works. And this is why nobody can just travel with the, doc- you know, not just anybody can travel with the doctor. It's got to be, you know, there's a certain circumstance to it. So I don't know. I just, I really dug it. I would recommend though, if you or anybody wants to jump in on the, jump in on the show Obviously, you can start fresh with season nine, starting you know on the nineteenth, and you will be completely fine. Um, I would, if you're gonna, if you really want to get into it, though, I, w- I would start with uh, season three, episode one, because David Tennant's in his prime as as the Doctor. He had one season before where he kind of got his his feet under him, so he's really rocking for it. That the writers are, are writing for him now, um, and they introduce a new companion in Martha. So whenever they introduce a new companion they sort of re-explain the show to that person. And then you as the viewer get to kind of see what the show is about that way. Cause they, you know, they're like, this is why the TARDIS is bigger on the inside. And this is where, this is what we can do. Cause every time a new companion comes in, you're sort of living the show through their eyes. And so they, that person has to know kind of what the deal is. Um, so so you, I, just, you just brought up a host of things. Is it, it like, should we, should we take a little sidebar here and, and give a quick rundown of like, you know, what is the doctor? What is the companion? What is yeah. the TARDIS? What is he a doctor of? Why is everybody <laughs> such a stickler about spelling it out instead of just putting D on? Oh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So, let, yeah. yeah so let's, he's let's he's a magic healer from the past. <laughs> Go. Well, that's the legend. The legend says so. No. So, so once upon a time, there was this planet called Gallifrey. 
and it, okay. it existed for millions of years and the, the planet was inhabited by this race of people called time lords okay. and they invented they were the original people to invent time travel they created a whole society and and you know sort of political architecture around that concept and named and they themselves sort of, time lords so named themselves really time lords and became and just sort of took it upon themselves to sort of police time and space and sort of be observers and step in when they need to but never really interfere so much the doctor and, and and you know that that planet and that system had been around for for a long 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 time before he showed up he shows up though and sort of was a just a, a punk basically like a renegade kind of not not a renegade well, more of like a rebel shows up he's he not a native to gallifrey yes yeah, sorry he was born on gallifrey but okay. when he when he becomes of age so to okay. speak um, you know, he, and, and he comes, he starts the show in his first incarnation. He's already an old man. He steals, um, he steals one of the, the older TARDISes and the TARDIS is their time machine. Which it's looks like a phone booth. Their DeLorean. Well, not necessarily. That's just his. They are capsules okay. that can, that, that are, that they have a, what's called a chameleon circuit. So when they travel around from time to space, when they land somewhere, they want the TARDIS to blend into the natural surroundings and not get you know stolen or destroyed or anything. So, so they, let me take you on a sidebar here. Yeah, yeah. Does it still look like a phone booth? Because would a phone booth be really out of place these days? That's – well, so in this particular case – when the show started in 1963, the phone that phone booth was everywhere in London. Now there's like six of them, and right. they are like historical landmarks because they are the TARDIS in the real world. More people know it for that than the original purpose it served. Right. The idea, though, was that at some point in like the 60s or 70s, I forget when, the chameleon circuit broke and the TARDIS was stuck that way. Now, there have been, oh. I guess, episodes over the years. Every once in a while, he'll try to fix it, and he does, and then it breaks again. But the common understanding is he just likes that look so much and it's been around for so long that he as the character just leaves it that way. Okay. So this this blue box will in fact go you know traveling around to like you know the time of Shakespeare and just at the time of the Romans and just sort of be there. And it's kind of funny to see how people of those times react to what it is. Um right. but anyway, these these all the yeah, time so lords have tardises, um, they travel through time. So he stole one and, and when he stole it, it was already basically a, a museum piece. Um, the one that he stole, he took it and he, with his granddaughter, decided to start just roaming around time and space. And then eventually they came to Earth. They met these school teachers and they were the, that's, that group of school teachers was like the first, they were the first companions. And the show began. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, uh, you know, people, you know, those, those school teachers left, you know, they decided to go on, have their own lives. New people would come into the mix. Well, now, what, wait, are those school teachers from Gallifrey or are they no, from, from Earth? Earth? From Earth. Yeah. Okay. He was sort of hiding out on Earth because he stole this 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 yeah. time machine. And so yeah, the people of Gallifrey were always kind of like, well, we, we, we need that back. We need you to not start to you know, kind of mess around out there. This, you're, you're breaking the rules, doctor. You know, and that's he's kind okay. of one of those those kinds of characters where he's so not he kind of being pursued by them at all. No, I mean, they'll. Over the course of the early series, like you know, they the time lords pop in, you know, and when he misbehaves, they'll like apprehend him. And and usually in the early days, a lot of the stuff on the show that we can talk about here in a, more in a minute, but like a lot of the stuff on the show, everything from the fact that he regenerates to the way the Daleks look to, you know, things that happen in the seasons were based on the fact that the BBC only had the budget to do certain things. So they it it's creative problem solving on a production level that has stood the test of time. So. 
right off the bat, the actor who was cast to play um, the doctor was getting, you know, getting old. He was getting a little bit more, I think dementia was starting to set in and the BBC realized they had, the show was a hit, but he was sort of, he wasn't able to carry the brunt of it. So they're like, okay, we're going to bring in a new actor. Uh, and we're just gonna we're just gonna say the doctor has the ability to regenerate, and all the people from Gallifrey do. So what happens is when you're close to death, um, either through natural causes or you're mortally wounded, as long as you're still alive, you have the ability to 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 your your cells regenerate into a new you know your cells regenerate, but in the process you physically change. So that you know you look a little different, uh, your brain gets scattered a little bit, so your personality is a little different. You still retain your memories, your experiences, all of that. Um, but you basically become a new version of yourself and you can do that 12 times as a time Lord. So they use that. They're like, okay, 12 times. Surely this show will never have to, we'll never have to see, you know, 12 will be more than enough. We'll never go past that. And they've clearly <laughs> gone past that in a very interesting way. So like the show just, and then they use that as a mechanism. Wait, has it gone past that or on oh, the, yeah. They, yeah, 12 yeah. Right now? They, they went past it. They went past it um, two years ago when Matt Smith changed into Peter Capaldi and they, they, there's a whole, the whole Christmas special was about how they, how they were going to solve that problem. Like what, what, how he was going to keep going. So it was kind of, it's kind of cool. Um, but they use it, they use that regeneration as a mechanism, both for the show so that the show can kind of like change, change its shape and tone and everything. But then the actors who are with the show, you know, after three or four years, they can go, Hey, I'm moving on and they can pull somebody new in. So it's, it's, Okay. Don't go ahead. Sorry, I want to say it's a genius. I mean, it was at the time used to basically solve a, a production problem, but it is it, it really was the, the most genius move the show could have ever made, and is the reason they could keep 1963 to 2015 as complete canon, and the show can just keep going, keep going, keep going. It's it's genius. Every part about this is genius because they can they, the show can never has to die based on the actor or the, or the crew. Um, they never have to. They, they can always do something different tonally with the show because they can go anywhere in any time. So there's nothing they can't do subject matter wise or, or theme wise. So it's just, I don't know the way they baked that into the very beginning uh, was, was just, it, it, I don't think that anyone could have foresaw like, you know, 50 years later, this would still be going strong because of those decisions. So, so he, he is because of that, he's basically the same person. Yes. But aren't these, Aren't the uh, actors playing him, you know, very differently? <laughs> yes, to some extent. I mean, yeah. there's still sort of a. I would say the, the 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 main difference was actually from the first one to the second one. If okay. you watch the way the first actor played him. Now, do you mean uh, like the old, like the hella old 1963 guy or yes, whatever? Okay. The original, the original guy. I want to call him David Bradley because that's who played him in the documentary, but that's not his name. William Hartnell. God, there it is. Um, yeah. William Hartnell, the first actor, because he came in. He was supposed to be more like um, the guy who played the Wizard of Oz in the Judy Garland movie. Like that was kind of like you know that was sort of the a darker version of that. When he regenerated into um, oh god oh the second actor anyway I'm I'm gonna get crucified for this. When he regenerates that that actor onwards sort of set a tone that has never really changed. It's always kind of like everybody goes okay. back to goes back to often. that. Yeah, yeah, Patrick Troughton. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Troughton set that that tone. It's 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 not so different from from William Hartnell, but it's definitely there's a youth and vigor and, and a certain sort of pointed energy to it that that Hartnell never had that every actor since has kind of built on top of. And it's kind of one of those things. It, it's a it's a genius thing for an actor to be in because they can go here are eleven other guys who have sort of built this house that I can now add a room on top of. 
right? And they mm-hmm. there's elements, and that's why I love it so much because each actor who comes in will usually find two or three doctors that they sort of that they sort of click with, and you'll see that in their personality, and then they'll add something completely new. Um, so you can be like, oh, and a lot of people will be like, oh my god, he reminds me so much of, and then they'll list the name of a past actor, and that's why they love this actor. So like David Tennant. He was kind of, he was sort of, he was sort of his own guy. I mean, he was very much like Peter Davidson, who was uh, the doctor from like right after um, Tom Baker. So he had some of that, but then uh, everybody liked Matt Smith. All the classic fans liked Matt Smith because he was very much like Patrick Troughton, like very, he even wore a bow tie. Like, so there was all of these, that was very similar. Now, Peter Capaldi's got elements of, you know, Tom Baker, a little bit of John Pertwee, you know, so there's, there's that, but there's still their own performance. They're not just copying you know, what came before, but they still have to honor. It's, it's a lot like our, our discussion about James Bond last time. So every time they, they get a new James Bond actor, it's still James Bond. They're just doing their take of James Bond. It's almost, it's almost as if James, imagine if James Bond story-wise, they somehow acknowledge that there's a new person playing James Bond. Uh, right. And, and they kind of just silently pretended that, that, you know, it's funny because with James Bond, they'll keep everyone else. They'll keep the supporting cast and everything in place and just swap out the actor and pretend like nothing's different. Um, which is kind of interesting, but it's like, but it's like that actor will still, they'll have their own, like Daniel Craig is very different from Pierce Brosnan, but there's elements of James Bond in both of them that you recognize. Um, and just like James Bond too, like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, you know, Sean Connery's my James Bond. No, no, Roger Moore's my James Bond. Same thing with Dr. Who is like, no, Tom Baker's my doctor. So there's a lot of that very similarity. They just, they just decided to make it a narrative point as well as just a, a, a practical cap, you know, production point. So, um, to back up a little bit, what is mm-hmm. he a doctor of? He chose the name the doctor for reasons that we still don't – still are not entirely clear. It's not his real name. Um, and there's been episodes that are like, what is your real name? Is he going to say it? And they they always back away from it because it's not the most important thing in the world in the context of the show. Um, but he chose the name the doctor because he wanted to to fix things. Unlike the you know sort of the, the default of Gallifrey was you know we don't ever interfere you know we we observe and we yeah. you know we might we might sort of meddle here and there they're very pompous about it as timeless but we don't interfere and the doctor's like no I'm gonna I'm gonna use my TARDIS I'm gonna use my time machine and go out there and see the universe and help people and try to fix stuff um, so which he is gave, why he carries a magic screwdriver <laughs> it's sonic screwdriver it's not magic oh sorry <laughs> no he carries he doesn't carry any weapons there's no he never shoots a he, there's they're very clear about he never he never fires a gun uh mm-hmm. as a weapon he might fire a gun to as you know in a macgyver kind of way but he never fires it as a weapon instead he's got this this sort of device this um toothbrush looking device and it changes over the years too to be cooler based on the technology but it's called a sonic screwdriver so basically <laughs> and it's and it's kind of they use it as a deus ex machina kind of a lot where it's okay you know there's there are some episodes or some seasons where you know it just functions simply as a, yeah, as that like you know just like a screwdriver would a screwdriver can't do everything can just you know get you out of some predicaments or some jams so is um, he like i've really screwed this one up well <laughs> and he pulls it out and no they don't get that crazy but there are there have been times and i think peter capaldi's doctor is kind of falling into this a bit where it's basically it, it kind of turns into a, a harry potter wand now and then where okay especially because it lights up now the newer the rejuvenated series it lights up and you know there's a blue light or a green light and it makes a noise and everything but it's very wand like now anyway it's very long so there's been a couple of times where Capaldi pulls it out and he just sort of waves it and things just magically happen so i think that's rubbed some people the wrong way where it's like oh i don't know so it we... is magic it kind of is yeah it's good mm. it's the technology itself is never they kind of use it they they make it a convenient tool in the story when they need it to 
and there's there's arguments that maybe they should um you know maybe they should take it away from him for a while and there's been episodes where that happens where he doesn't have it and he's got to solve a problem with just his brain so there's going back to my original rant the other reason i like this so much is because there's so much macgyver in this like there are okay. episodes that are that remind me like they're straight out of it they put him in a predicament you're like how the hell is he gonna get out of this and sometimes it's an episode cliffhanger sometimes it's like you know the best part of the episode and he's got to use his, his intelligence to actually get out of that problem and it's it's really good creative like they really ratchet up the fact that he's a smart smart guy um you know who understand who knows it's like neil degrasse tyson macgyver and um Einstein all rolled into one person, right? Yeah. Because he's got the knowledge of the universe. He's got creative problems. So, like, that's cool. And that's interesting. Um, but going back to your original question, so, he, so he's got the time machine. He's called the doctor. He gave himself that name. Yes. And one of his, the companion. Yeah. One of his, ri- well, and real quick, too, one of his rivals is called the master who gave himself that name, too. And there's a whole thing behind that. But he travels with these people. And, you know, usually they're called, I mean, early on in the series, they were called his assistants. Now they're called his companions. They're just people he finds. There's some, it's usually a woman or a young woman of some kind. Sometimes, though, it's like a couple people. It just depends on what, you know, what the showrunners are interested in that year. And that person or people will travel with him for a year or two or a season or two. <laughs> and then they'll either go off on their own, meaning like, hey, I've, I've enjoyed my time, but I got to go live my life. Like, I've seen the universe and I got I to gotta, I gotta live my life here because this can't last forever. Or he'll kick them out. They'll do something to betray him, and he'll just ban- you know leave. He'll literally just drop them off and leave them and never come back. So he's kind of a, he's kind of a dick sometimes to these people. Or they'll die. You know, not not super common, but they'll you know it's they want to. They always like to point out that you know traveling with him is not a safe thing, and some of these people don't make it back, um, or they get trapped somewhere that he can't save them. So that happens, and so by virtue of that, there's always. Just like the doctor can change, you know, every you know, three or four years, every two to three years, they can always pull in a new person to be to travel with them and have new adventures. And you, as a new person to the show, can kind of find your way into the show through these these companions. So that's cool. You know, that's that's been really cool. And there's been God countless companions over the years that have. Um, oh, okay. Been, so there are there are actually more companions than there are doctors. I mean, I guess oh, I, far more. I guess like, I figured that out as as you were saying that, but I wasn't wasn't quite putting it together because I it seemed like what I understood in recent years. And some of my understanding of this comes from just seeing people cosplay this at, at conventions, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess um, at least, you know, I, it's probably accurate to say people are fans of the companion as much as they are of the doctor. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. yeah. Yeah. Some there's people really that, like yeah. a certain companion and that's who they're going to cosplay as and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's people who, um, like Rose, so Billy Piper played Rose, and she was the first companion of the rebooted series, and, and a lot of people liked her. I think more recently, though, a lot of people like Amy and Rory, who's played by, um, oh my god, I'm not the names of these actors just don't hit me right away. Karen Gillan, who's was in Guardians of the Galaxy most recently, um, and Arthur Duvall, who's in uh, a lot of cool stuff. But like those two were really, and I was a huge fan of them too. So like Matt Smith, one of Matt, the reason Matt Smith's era was so popular is because Amy and Rory were so equally likable and it felt more like you know it was the doctor and these two so it felt more like a, 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 a gang of friends and not like here's this old guy and this young girl and that's kind of yeah. creepy but we'll go with it you know <laughs> um yeah so there's definitely people who will and it's it's really easy to cosplay as a companion i mean like they're usually wearing clothes that you can just go and buy and you know, find mostly anywhere yeah um, i mean for all i know it's just the person who came to the convention with a guy cosplaying as doctor who yeah exactly so it's, it's <laughs> that's cool and, it's, and 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 likewise for the doctor it's really not hard to 
find you know costumes that are similar to any of your favorite doctors like i think and then each each actor kind of puts their own stamp on it so the costumes are so unique um accessible but still so unique so you can find you you can you can that's why you see so much doctor who cosplays because it's so it's, it's not like they're wearing you know crazy alien you know gear or anything like that that you have to make yourself or you know an iron man suit you have to you know spend three months making before you show up you can literally go down this weekend to a, a thrift store and find a pretty close if not exactly the same doctor who costume for whoever you want to be um, right so that's cool but yeah so there's the companions and then the reason he's kind of and this is kind of an important point so right before the rejuvenated series started in the events of the show gallifrey got into a war with the daleks and if you want to know what the daleks oh, that's are right. they, they are the robots that have the plungers coming out of them for lack of a better you know, you see like the big long eye, and then you see like where their arms should be. There's like a like a, a spatula and then a plunger. Right. And that that literally came that that came to be because the BBC at that time was just I mean, they just could not afford to build an entire robot army. So they're just like, uh, let's just add this and this and spray paint it, and there you go. But they but they made it, you know, the voices at that time were really creepy. So they've kind of endured as a character because they were the original. I think they were the very first you know, villain that the doc, that the sh- that the show introduced, and that was that was kind of the thing that everybody in 1963 was like, "Oh my God, the show is something interesting." So the Daleks have endured this whole time, but in this in the canon of the show, they got into a big war with Gallifrey, the Time Lords, and both sides wiped each other out. And the Doctor was one of was originally thought of to be the only one, and it turned out to be like one of two or three who survived. Um, and so when that happened, he decided to make Earth his new home and just sort of started hanging out here. And that's why all the new series is very Earth. You know, it's like he's, he, a lot of the stuff happens on Earth or just, you know, he, he treats Earth very carefully because this is his, this was sort of his adoptive home after that happened. So very so, much there's, there's like a Superman kind of vibe there too that sort of that worked its way into the show. Well, let's, um, let me zoom out a little bit because one of the things that I thought was interesting to talk about um, uh, as it, you know, <laughs> whether it's a positive or negative bias is sort of the very Britishness of the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one example I brought up when we were brainstorming about it was um, Star Wars being so clearly like a sci-fi Western, you yeah. know, combined with a samurai film. Um, but it's still, Star Wars has a, a very American take on sci-fi you know there's the rebels and there's the empire and it's this kid out in the desert who can you know uh blast a womp rat at whatever uh 20 parsecs or something Mm -hmm. um you know it's like it's you know it's cow it's cowboys and indians um Mm -hmm. what uh i don't know how we get into that with doctor who but i but we just sense whether it's the scarf or the uh bow tie there's just a very british sense to it i mean what do you how do you think that um that plays into the show how does it play into your appreciation of it yeah it's interesting you say that because like when when you get when you start watching the show as long as i have you sort of forget that it is a british show you know it's sort of i mean obviously everybody's got a british accent and there's there are some of those trappings but it's only when you think that and and i was explaining the show to somebody else recently and i'm like it's the british version of back to the future or or more better (laughs) back to the future is the american doctor who I mean, almost very, very, I mean, very similar. You've got this, this interesting, uh, intrinsic old guy who pals around with this younger person through time um, in this really cool, interesting time machine. You know, that's, that's kind of 
you know, fits into the modern, you know, at that time, the modern sort of sensibilities of what a time, you know, what a time machine could be. It's like, well, it just blends in. It's, it's a, you know, a DeLorean. I'm like, what? Much like, you know, and you almost hear verbatim, like a phone box or a phone booth. What? So it's, well, I think that, that right there is such a great example of the difference between the way Americans do sci-fi or fantasy and the way, you know, the Brits might, because, you know, if you look at Back to the Future, the DeLorean at that moment was supposed to be like the cool car. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That and and so it was definitely like we're going to put Marty McFly in the cool thing. But the mm-hmm. British went, no, let's pick something really like ordinary yeah, and yeah. clunky. You know, it was well, it was almost on the silly. Like the on way the exterior, they picked it. though, because the interior is supposed to be so the TARDIS on the inside, yeah, surely on the outside, it's a, it's a small, you know, foam box looking thing. But the Time Lords figured out dimensional physics. So as you walk into it, it's, you know, infinitely bigger on the inside. That's always kind of the big, like, it's bigger on the inside. Like, that's if you see shirts that say that, that's what they're referring to. Yes. Um, so there's, there's that, I think, practicality of let's take this amazing, incredible thing and hide it in an ordinary, you know, sort of, and, and, and that might, that's an interesting, if that's a commentary, it's interesting to think that that might be a commentary on British life at that time, you know, yeah. like you know, as the sixties started the, you know, the world war two, you know, was still fresh in their minds. Um, there's still very much a conservative kind of undercurrent to British life and for them to take, you know, like take these fascinating, fantastical things and, but still keep them sort of, you know, under, under wraps and, you know, in a, you know, that, I, I, that's interesting to consider. Yeah, I I wonder if um, you know it, possibly it was chosen in the '60s as this is this is a very modern um, you know thing that you're going to see on the streets. Uh, it's a phone box, but when they when they rejuvenated the series, or even in the '80s when they were doing it, they had to know like this is just really dorky, you know. But I yeah, don't know. Yeah, They're yeah, British, yeah. so maybe they don't know. Well, so, I mean, the Britishness of it, I think, is is an appeal to it. Just like, you know, people watch Sherlock, and you know, I think the people that are in love with this Cumberbatch version of Sherlock love it because it is so British. You know, it's so London. It's, everything about it is like, it's modern London. It's, it's, it is that. Whereas I think, you know, the show Elementary, which is the American version of Sherlock, you know, Sherlock Holmes, oh, right. is, it, is, is sort of just like thought of as this like weird little object da, because it's like, well, that's, you know, what is this? Because it's like, it's trying to take that and put it into that, in this American format, it just doesn't work. So I think, you know, there, I think the fact that it is, is very British, you know, or has that baked into its DNA is appealing. Um, but again, once you start watching the show, that kind of goes away. You kind of stop. And, and even now, because Capaldi, I mean, yes, Scotland is is part of the you know the British Empire, you know. So, but Capaldi's the first Doctor to use his his actual not you know English accent. So okay. he's running around with the Scottish accent, and at first you're kind of like what? And they make some you know they make some sort of jokes about it on the show, but uh, it was it's the first time ever in the show's history that the actor playing the Doctor wasn't didn't try to change their accent to be English. Like David Tennant is as Scottish as the day is long, but he found kind of a kind of a half Glaswegian kind of accent that. It's not quite English, but it more, but it's definitely in that that vein. Instead of just using his his native you know his native accent, which you know it worked for him then. But I, I love that Capaldi's Capaldi's doctor is so very much him that it would have been weird to have him try to fake an English accent. I think um, so. I don't know that that all kind of fits into it. I think again, but you watch it now. And there's, they've done a lot to really make the show seem international, and this ties into the yeah. You know, 
again, as the show has gotten bigger, the BBC has smartly realized the franchise opportunity. Basically, they're like, okay, we we missed this the first time around. You know, we just had a show. And then Star Wars happened, and we never really paid attention. So now let's let's do everything to the show that they did to Star Wars. Let's have licensing deals and merchandise, and we'll try to film. You know, we'll syndicate it worldwide, and like we'll really try to make this a global property. And I think it might even be. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, but this might be the first truly global entertainment property where it's it's meant for a global audience. Like the BBC will run. It took a couple of years, but they finally got to the point where. It'll air on Saturday night in on, you know, uh, in England, which is like what one one or two o'clock our time, and then so they'll always have it first, no matter what, just because of their time zone. But then it will, same day it will air here on BBC America. Then it will air in Australia. The next day you can buy all the episodes on iTunes or Amazon or whatever. Um, they film stuff in America. They film stuff in Australia. They really try to emphasize the fact this is now a global property and there's an audience globally that they have to start to appeal to. So you've seen it kind of still be british but but definitely find its rhythm with a you know with an american audience with an australian audience with a you know an asian audience like it's it's trying to figure that out and as the show evolves i think that'll just keep happening well i think that's an interesting thing you point out which is not because um because i've i've not watched a full episode ever um but i have seen from the you know promotions for peter capaldi that it's definitely like it's a different look and some mm-hmm. of those uh uh even with you know David Tennant and Matt Smith, um, some of their dress was a little anachronistic. You know, mm, I mean, it was mm-hmm. definitely like a, for me, a callback to the like Tom Baker years or something. Yeah. I mean, that was what yeah. I saw was, oh, they just keep putting this guy in tweed and a bow tie mm. and giving him a scarf. I, well, or part of that know? though was because Matt Smith was so young. I think their their point with that was we're going to dress him like an old. He, we're going to emphasize the fact he's got an old soul by dressing him like an old professor, right? Okay. Whereas I think with Peter Capaldi, like he's, you know, not all, his costume is a little bit more fluid. So like sometimes you'll see him in kind of a nice dapper sort of thing, but then he'll wear a hoodie, you know, like a hoodie sweatshirt under like a, a, a dress coat or something now and then. It's so like, he's got a, you know, he looks older, but he's, he's playing it progressively younger and more, you know, it, I, the reason I love Peter Capaldi so much is because he's the perfect combination of Egon Spangler and Dr. Emmett L. Brown, like, but, but Scottish, like you take those two guys, you give him a Scottish accent and you've got Peter's doctor. Well, it's, I, I mean, I, I, my, my point on that was, I think there, you know, like, it's an interesting point that you bring up about it being international, because that's definitely what I see with him. They're not dressing him in these sort of mm-hmm. stereotypical British um, you know, looking tweeds and stuff like that. It's yeah. like, I mean, it's even in the look of it, it's it's more broadly appealing, yeah, and more and more modern than um than it, you know. Well, I mean, God, Eccleston when he first came in, that Eccleston who was the first Doctor of the reboot wore a like basically just a, like black black jeans essentially, a black leather jacket like bomber jacket and like a jumper underneath. Yeah. It's like the most you know, utilitarian, like just no nonsense. Doctor. I mean, they, they rebooted the show going, I, I think when they did reboot it, they were really worried about that. You can tell like that first season is cool and weird and British, but there's a lot of it going, we're too, we're not going to, we're going to be very careful about how much of that we show you. And we're right. going to keep this very, this is modern. This is, I mean, this came out in the wake of Battlestar Galactica rebooting. So they're like, okay, we got, this is more, this is more current and contemporary. And then only slowly did they go, okay, well, they, they just got less and less scared to be, that show and now i think with capali there there there's no fear at all about you know just showing you i mean showing you a monster in a rubber suit 
that has a good story attached to it. You know, like before they're like, I don't know, a rubber suit, that's going to be tat cheesy. <laughs> now they figured out a way to do it that, that looks cool. And they'll have other like really, you know, screwed up stuff too that's really just badass but they're not afraid to give you some of those classic things or that that uniquely british kinds of flair while still always trying to mine new ways to make it more accessible from an international audience i think my only complaint not complaint my only fear about the show is that as they do that if there isn't a showrunner or if the bbc themselves aren't aware of that it might become too diluted and i think that might be where your sort of hesitation is where because it can do everything um you know story-wise there has to be some anchor and that anchor is the britishness of the show you know is that sort of that 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 sort of core history so as long as they know that they'll be fine but if there's ever pressure to be like you know to be more you know appealing to a certain demographic or to just they just kind of keep money keep money it might or if they ever get a lesser actor as the doctor that might um that might sort of slip too so that's it's an interesting it'll be interesting with the next 10 years because we're we're since now 10 years since the show rejuvenated it'll be interesting to see in 2025 where we are with it well that's that's such an interesting point because it's almost like part of the appeal for the past since the since the the rejuvenation as as you're calling it like part of the appeal of that has been this long history and it stays in canon and how the people who came up was it Stephen Moffat who was instrumental in the reboot, or did he come along a couple he years? He was later? he was a writer. He was one of the okay. original writers in the reboot. He wasn't the showrunner. That was a guy named um, oh my god, and I just his face is clear as mud to me. Well, um, think, Russell T Davies. There we go. So you know, I think there was it. It's had such a powerful reboot over the past you know eight or nine years because of that long history. But it'll be interesting to see if that doesn't damage it in the future because i think what we're watching now the like the way we watch tv now is that we don't necessarily want series to go on Mm -hmm. forever Mm -hmm. you know we Mm -hmm. want we want to at least i wanted to know that mad men had an ending that it was approaching you know yeah yeah Um, and i think we all feel that way about game of thrones like you know um depending on how you know your level of satisfaction with the show you may be wanting that ending to come sooner than later (laughs) but you know but it's we're we're into this this like capsule you know of of a show and uh it'll be interesting to see if that that thing that they've baked into the dna of doctor who which is the um, regeneration is like ends up being kind of like uh, you know a a achilles heel for it because well two two things on that front one it that is the one thing that's very not British about it. You know, the, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's the Brits who basically invented short form television. Like this is I, only going to be one season. This will only be two seasons. Yeah. And that's it. And then we're on to something else. Doctor Who's the one thing that's always flown in the face of that. Like, oh, no, no. Right. It's, it'll continue on and on and on and on. Um, so, But I think it only can do that because – you can bring in new showrunners every five years, new creative teams every however long. You know, there's it's always this this self fulfilling prophecy that just kind of keeps going. I think though, to your other point, where they're gonna and this might be this may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing. A lot of people have been calling for the next regeneration to be a woman, uh, or yeah. at least a person of color. Like, so let's get some diversity in there. Let's see. And I, I for one, be completely fine with it because I'm like, think of all the story stuff you can do. They just recently in this most in the most recent season made the master a woman, and that was the first time it was ever acknowledged that a time lord could regenerate into a different gender. Um, 
So they're really like a lot of people are like, you know, Helen Mirren should be the new doc, you know, stuff that will probably never happen. Well, maybe I don't know. Capaldi has raised the game so much in terms of the acting potential of the show. It may be Helen Mirren. Who knows? Um, but I think don't be surprised if you don't see that either in the next one or the one after that, or at least see like, you know, not Idris Elba, but somebody like that jump in and be, you know, be the doctor. I think that's where, you know, that's where they can, t- you know, take it. There's never going to be a shortage of stories to tell because they can literally do anything. So it's, they're only limited by their imaginations. Um, and even, I mean, and they've even found a way to over 50 years have episodes that clearly contradict past episodes magically work out in the canon, um, either through just pretending that that we're not going to talk about it or retconning deliberately or whatever it is. So they've managed this amazing magic trick of keeping this all working. And then you throw on top of that, much like Star Wars, the audio plays and the novels and the books and all these things that kind of fill in the story around just the core 13 episodes. It's it's fascinating. Like there's so so kind of an offshoot of this. Paul McGann is the actor who played the doctor in the 1996 um, TV movie that was supposed to be the jumping off point for a Fox of you know Fox Channel Doctor Who series in America. Um, right. Paul McGann was. Paul McGann's a British actor, but they're like, we're going to, America's like, we're going to reboot this show. So if you go in, and I have it, I can send you a copy, but there's this 1996 kind of like movie pilot that they filmed that was, by all accounts, pretty cool. It was pretty interesting. Um, you know, there was definitely a very American element to it. Um, and if anything, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Paul McGann was the only British thing in it. You know, they even had, they had, uh, you know, the guy who played the master was uh, like, oh, what's his name? It's an American actor who's, who's very well known. Um, <laughs> and just like, the companion was a Mac. It was a, was American. Like everything about it was very, very American. That, that Asian kid who was in all like everything back then was, you know, in it. It just, I don't know. It just had the, all the trappings and then obviously it didn't, no one really got it, but at that point, but, but since then, like Paul McGann has kind of become this like unsung hero of Dr. Who to the point where he got to do like three or four years of the audio, audio plays or audio books that have fleshed out his character. He made a cameo appearance in a webisode that led up to the 50th anniversary show that everybody lost their shit about. They're like, it's him. And there's even talk about bringing him back a couple times, you know, to reprise the role, you know, when the doctor meets his past selves or, you know, that kind of thing, which (laughs) that that happens every once in a while. Like the doctor will meet past versions of himself and they have to work together to solve a problem. Um, But where was I going with this? That was, um, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) What was, what was your point? You're, (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's, there's a reason there's a good reason i brought this up oh, i lost your train of thought too i lost Damn. whatever i asked about well anyway there's a there's a 96 um, tv movie i i oh god what was it there's a, <laughs> there's a point to be made there anyway anywho what else though what else do you want to know that we haven't talked about or i guess i guess well, I one the way to i think the way to go out is to say what are you looking forward to in this new series ah. yeah and uh you, and where would you like it to go like what's your sort of dream question you know um because capaldi at this point has done one full entire series and that christmas special right yes correct okay so i mean are you looking forward to him hanging on to the role for a while or you know i want to see him i want to see him in the role for at least this obviously he's got this season i want to see him hang around at least one more season um it seems to it seems that like three or four years is kind of the average i think tom baker was the only one who went past i think tom baker went like seven or eight years uh, which is why everybody kind of looks to him as like he was the doctor, right? Well, he was one of them, but he just was the longest serving one. 
pardon me. Um, but I want to see Capaldi another two or three, you know, another year or two. So if he ends up doing four seasons, great. As long as they still, as long as he's interested in the role and they're able to still write for him, I think that's key. What he's doing that's really that that's my favorite thing that no of these none of these other actors have done yet is he started the role very gruff, very serious, very mysterious, enigmatic. You know, just it just very kind of emphasizing those traits of the character not not really fun you know it's just more like i you know i have a lot of shit to do and i've got a lot to a lot to make up for and you need if you're going to come with me come with me but i can't look out for you and you know kind of raising the bar on what's serious but as it has as last season went on as the christmas special evolved and as what i'm seeing from you know discussions and trailers of this new season he has slowly ratcheted up the lovable fun charm that's that's inherent to the character and i think that was intentional and it's gotten to the point where he'll there'll be a line he says or he'll do something that if it was Matt Smith you'd just be like oh whatever. But the fact that the fact that it's him saying it you almost cry because you're like oh god because it's like he takes that gravity that he applies to the serious side and then all of a sudden he drops this moment of like you know lovable truth on you and you're like oh god, which makes me almost like think that if they if if he's gonna ha- if they write his regeneration episode to be not this big bombastic thing, which, you know, if you ask what I want from the show, it's to, it's to lower the stakes more. Um, they kind of yeah. started doing that last season, but I tell you, I, t- I kid you not the first, the first season of the reboot, the, the Daleks were trying to destroy mankind in the future. The second season, the Daleks and the Cybermen were trying to destroy mankind and earth. Now the third season, um, what was that one? Oh, the master is trying to just, you know, destroy the universe or enslave the universe. Now the fourth season, they were trying, the dogs were trying to destroy all of the universe. So it keeps like, they keep right. ratcheting up the stakes to the point where you're like, I don't care. And then at some point in the fifth season, the entire universe gets destroyed and they have to figure out how to reboot it, which is just ridiculous. So there's <laughs> some of that got a little bit too carried away. I like it when this, when the stakes are smaller on the show and I think I feel like Capaldi is going to be best served if he gets more stories where that's the case. You can have a big bombastic thing; that's fine. But his stories, and especially as he gets closer to his his end on the show, I want to see, I want to see that last episode be a small, you know, it can be action packed, it can be emotional, but it's got to be a small stakes seri- a small stakes episode. Yeah. And I, there's and one of the best episodes of all time, as far as like you know, fa- you know of the entire show from the six, you know, sixty three to now that that's recognized as one of the best, you know, the most poignant episodes they ever did was David, sorry, Peter Davidson's regeneration episode. It's called the Caves of Androzani, or I, I can't, <clears throat> I can never pronounce it, but it's he he ends up quote unquote dying slash regenerating because he saves the life of his companion. And that's all the show. It, it starts off with him trying to negotiate this deal between these two warring planets, but it just ends with him trying to get the hell out of there and save Perry, his companion's life. And in doing so, he sacrifices himself to do it. Um, and it's so meaningful. You're like, oh my God, this is what it should be. Stephen Moffat is kind of like J.J. Abrams in that he was, as a kid, a huge fan of the show. And so you can see a lot of that care you know, for the show in his you know, structuring of the seasons and everything. I wouldn't doubt. I, I wouldn't put it past him to to make that kind of a moment for for Capaldi because I think Capaldi could pull it off brilliantly um, and just have this quiet character moment where he, you know, it's it he might sacrifice himself for like a family he just met or something you never see coming. I think also the other thing I want to see is is and they're never going to do it because the show's so popular. Every time that you know 
when it, it's gone from, oh, this dude's going to be the new actor that they just throw out in the news to they host an entire like week long event leading up to the selection of the new actor. We're right. going to re- we're going to reveal it to everybody in this live televised event like it's become a thing, which I get. But I want to see I want to see just one one season or one actor or one actor who's the doctor where you're just watching the season and all of a sudden out of nowhere something happens and he has to regenerate and some new dudes there and you're like and the show just keeps going and like you just because that's what it's like for the people who are in his life as as the companions or the people you know in the show i want the viewer to experience that i as the viewer want to be like just thinking everything's okay and then one day he's gone you're like who's this like they're never going to do it, at least not now. I mean, maybe if the show starts to wear thin and they're just, you know, they need to, they just need to do bold, creative things. Yeah, that's when they pull out, and, and at that point, it might be really, really cool to see it. But you know, that's kind of what that's what I want to see. And then at the same time, the acting, the acting, just I mean, they had freaking John Hurt in the 50th anniversary special playing a, another incarnation of the Doctor we've never seen before. Like just having John Hurt, who's an actor, like an act, and not, no disrespect <laughs> to Matt Smith and David Tennant, but John Hurt's like an actor, like that dude raised the bar on that show, you know, and, and then Capaldi came in and just raised it even higher. So like the acting is getting so damn good. I, I can't wait to see who else that might attract both to direct. You know, we might see an episode where Peter Jackson directs an episode, you know, an episode, or we might get, you know, we might get Idris Elba freaking in a, you know, in a one-off episode as, as a character or something, you know, I think that's totally up for, up for grabs. Wow. Um, that, <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, Sorry, that's that's those are my wishes yeah, and dreams for the show. I, I well, like another thing was like I got caught up on. I I love that idea of like showing, uh, you know, having a regeneration come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking along the lines of like that's kind of the, um, you know, it's it's funny when you look back like two or three years ago, Game of Thrones was still able to do that, and now yeah. when you think about it, it's like yeah. people are reading the. I mean, there's people in Ireland, like. Sneaking pictures of the, out, the hotels. The, yeah. What a new famous person or what other you know actor we thought was dead is you know getting a cup yeah. of coffee in the same city where they're filming, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's so funny to think like, well, I, I don't think they could even pull that off now. There's you know, if no I was Sean Bean, to cast Doctor Doctor Who, and then uh, and then just like you know surprise switch him in the middle of an episode. I don't know, dude. I think with all the secrecy surrounding Star Wars, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you think about oh, that. Think about all this, all this stuff that could have leaked about The Force Awakens that hasn't yet. I don't know how they're pulling that off, but they've clearly proven it's possible. I want um, you to say whatever you were about to say about Sean Bean because I think I know what it was. And I was, I was just like, if I was Sean Bean, I would just, whenever I had a moment between <laughs> acting stuff, I would just show up. I would, I would just literally troll anybody oh who's hanging out in Ireland oh and just God. walk around, like grow my hair out, grow like a scruff of a beard and just start walking around. <laughs> Like, That's don't even exactly business. what I was thinking. Oh, Anywhere God. that there's a Game of Thrones set, just show up. <laughs> I would just or just hang out in the town. Even like, don't even go yeah. to the set. Just be like, in like, yeah, oh my God, drink. And people me. are like, "What are you doing in town?" You're like, "Don't tell anyone." <laughs> I'd just be like, I'd wink and be like, "I don't know." I just see, just to fuck with people. Oh, it'd be yeah. so much fun. What do we say to the God of Death? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just walk out the back door. Oh my God. There's yeah. like for the next week, Sean Bean is coming back, and then like it never happens. Like that, that son of a bitch. But Maybe then, that's you, what Kid Harrington has been doing. God, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I I seriously doubt it because that would just throw the whole story, that whole story, in a completely. I mean, I, I I as a fan would be completely angry. But you know, if it ends up being, if that ends up being true, 
I would applaud. I would. I would. I would curse the showrunners and applaud him. Be like, Kit Harrington, yeah. you are a genius bastard. Like, well done. Like, yeah. That. That and I wouldn't even need to watch the finale of the show. I'd just be like, Kid Harrington did that. I'm done. That's all I need to see. That's all I need to know. <laughs> he went out like a boss, man. That's all I need to say. <laughs> On that note, we should probably go out too. We've been at it for a little while. So I agree. Uh, I want to know though, though, top who are your top three doctors? Ooh. Oh, God. And I have since, and keep this in mind, I have since gone back and... They can be tied. Okay, that's fine. And I'll preface this by saying I've since gone back and found an appreciation for parts of the classic series. Strangely enough, for uh, Patrick Troughton's run, there's an episode, there's like a four or five part episode that they recently found in a bin of of, videos that in some like BBC outpost in like Malaysia or something. And they... On there was a there's a bunch of lost episodes from that time when the BBC just threw shit away. They never saved anything, so they found right. these, and it's called Enemy of the World, and it's it's amazing because Patrick Trump plays a doctor, but he also plays a Mexican dictator. That and it works so well, and I'm like for an episode in like 1965 or six, like it's genius. Like you could do that today. So I'm I'm gonna put him at number three, Patrick Trotton, because he really that that dude's got range, and he really he won me over in that episode. I was I was really surprised. Did anyone ever refer to him in the back in the day as Doctor Two? I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. If there was an internet back then, he'd be. I mean, they refer to David Tennant as Ten because he was the tenth Doctor all the time. It just matches his name, so like they always mm-hmm. call him Ten. I would say David Tennant's probably my second. That dude's okay. the one that got me. That got me hooked into the show. You know, to begin with, um, he got really whiny in his latter. You know, his last sort of <laughs> couple episodes, and his he's got one of the most emo whiny nonsensical i hated his regeneration so much i by the time matt smith showed up i was like thank christ just just go because david Tennant went from being this really you know really fun stern clever guy to just like i don't want he his last words as a doctor was was literally i don't want to go i'm like oh my god just oh dude after the classic regeneration (laughs) that eccleston had i was just like just go dude but that being said that that guy has a lot of amazing episodes a lot of great acting so i put him there and i'd say number one is a tie it's a two-parter it's a tie between peter capaldi and christopher eccleston because eccleston that guy eccleston was an actor who was the doctor and i think capaldi you know capaldi's an actor who's the doctor but capaldi was also a huge fan of the show i mean there's this legendary story that capaldi when he was watching the show in the 70s actually wrote constantly wrote letters to the doctor who fan club suggesting that he should run it and and listing out all the reasons why he should run it and there's like this there's these internal memos that they found at the bbc where like every like every other week there'd be like at the bbc like you know um you know drama meetings they'd be like we have to discuss the peter capaldi situation because he won't stop writing us and so like and so the the fact that he finally became the doctor is kind of is kind of sweet and awesome but that's a dude who you know was a fan but he's an actor and he brought it to it and eccleston's got a lot of that too And you watch those eccleston episodes he does a lot of the same things where he can be stern and serious and kind of mysterious and then he turns on the charm and he smile he'll like throw a smile at you and he doesn't have to say anything you're just like oh because like he he, <laughs> he balances that performance so well so the, those moments mean so much more and i think for me that's that's really what i want i want that that really deep dimension and so those two i think those two are share it share it for me right now capaldi i'm gonna guess is gonna probably take the top spot after this season like permanently all right i i appreciate that uh that wrap up i think that's a good way to to close the episode our episode so go watch season nine everybody uh i would suggest (laughs) you todd at least you know just 
just well, I'm going to watch this episode with Carrie Mulligan in it. Because, yes, uh, definitely do that. Got to be better than the one I put on today, where they go to a Shakespeare festival in 1599 at oh, the Globe yeah. Theater, and I was like, was... oh my god. It was that one's fun once you understand sort of how the show works, but that, don't make that one of the first ones you watch. It's it gets a little cheesy. Now yeah. watch. It's called Blink. It's from season three. It's just called Blink. If you if you watch that and you still don't like it, fair enough. All right, but, but it's the accepted. one. It's the one that man. Every time people are like, "Wow, I want. I need more of this." I'm like, "All right, that's that's the one. That's the one that hooked me." Cool. So that being said, I guess we can wrap up, right? Yeah, this is the, uh, we're wrapping up uh, episode three. Um, we have a website, theoretically, uh, whose domain I will I will pitch to you again. What is it? Uh, ToddandTaylor.com. Yes, um, I am at Hey Todd A on Twitter, and you are at Taylor Trask T A Y L O R T R A S K. So check it out. <laughs> I always have to say that because some people would type in T-A-I-L-E-R. I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed. They, I mean, people will even type in Travis. I'm like, no, it's, it's I Tyler. I haven't counted it up yet, but I feel like you have the exact number of letters as Mickey Mouse. Because whenever you say it, whenever you <laughs> spell true. it, I hear the the same rhythm. T-A-Y-L-O-R-T-R-A-S-K. You got it. He's coming into your home this afternoon. I don't know whether that song. What, what is the song? I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. All I know is they spelled Mickey Mouse. It's like uh, yeah. one of the classic spelling songs, like that baloney song. But anyway, that's our wrap up. That's Doctor Who in a nutshell. Taylor, I appreciate you um, having the patience to put up with my sarcastic comments. Hey, man, everybody, you got it. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who feel the same. So you're, you represent, you speak for them. I yeah I, I I actually went easy on you um given the notes that I was given today on how to approach this episode so cool. <laughs> um yeah cool so that's episode three in the can and in we can. will uh I would say we will see everyone but we'll just talk at everyone next week um and until then please catch us on Twitter and and say hello and and all that good stuff sounds good talk to you uh, talk to you later talk to y'all later and we'll see you yes next week. adios.